Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition of 9-4 Radio. Um, this interview, this chat I had with uh, a really incredible lady named Tara Bradner. She works as a nurse practitioner for a daytime job. Um, she founded the first and only nonprofit organization in North Dakota and South Dakota serving those diagnosed with infertility called Everlasting Hope. And she also has her own fertility cro- fertility coaching practice um, that services all kinds of folks from all areas, all corners of the world. Um, this is in recognition of National Infertility Awareness Week. And one in eight women are touched by infertility. And we dig into... Um, all kinds of, all kinds of topics stemming just from that in general. And as a, as a movement coach, as a durability coach, um, I absolutely 100% care about the full human, the whole human. And, um, and it is a, it is an absolute, um, pleasure for me to partner with other professionals who specialize in things that I don't, who are incredibly passionate. So, um, I'm excited for you to listen to the episode. Um, I didn't know a ton about what Tara does and I was just fascinated, um, by all the, the pieces and parts that we ended up talking about throughout the episode. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy my talk with Tara Bradner. Hey, everybody. I've got my good friend Tara Bradner here with me today. And uh, Tara works as an experienced doctorate nurse practitioner and fertility coach with patients worldwide. After enduring a long road through infertility, followed by a traumatic pregnancy, she turned her hurt into hope for others by way of legislative advocacy and increased access to care for infertility and fertility preservation. Everlasting Hope, the first and only nonprofit organization in North Dakota and South Dakota serves those diagnosed with infertility and Tara B fertility provides fertility coaching and telemedicine services that offer a personalized approach to fertility care and pregnancy after infertility. Tara, I'm so grateful to have you on. Um, We are launching this episode during National Infertility Awareness Week and tell me and your audience uh, and our audience, folks that are listening to us have this conversation. Why is that important to you? Hi, yes. First of all, thanks so much for having me. And um, my journey starts when I went through miscarriage and infertility and lost myself. I just saw so many missing links and gaps in how a patient is, is basically handled essentially and what support they have when walking through this. That after my journey had kind of stabilized when I actually, when I was holding my son in my arms is when it kind of hit me. Like, what did we just go through? Like physically, emotionally, financially, what just happened to us? And it was at that moment, I knew I wanted to do more and to be a resource so that those going through this have it better than I did. And they can have more support and feel guided and just have have a better experience overall than I did with it. 
And so that was when I kind of became involved nationally with infertility organization um, to start some efforts here in North Dakota and, and, and I now into South Dakota and just raise awareness on this disease that is not talked about enough for various reasons, but it's really hard to talk about and for many reasons, but um, many are not in a good place mentally and emotionally when they're going through this or as they're starting this. And so I wanted to use my voice to elevate this community, give a safe space to connect, but also to speak up on behalf of the one in eight that are impacted by this disease. And that was when I, you know, knew, I just knew there was more that I could do and help people. That's even so, especially with your background, right? You were already in the medical field and, and, and like felt um, underserved. Oh, I was just baffled. Like, first of all, the diagnosis they gave me was called unexplained infertility. Like, I don't get to give the diagnosis of unexplained. I don't know. Not sure. Whoopsies. Like to anybody and anything as a healthcare provider. So I was just, it was like that even kicked me and like, just kind of how, so another example of that too, as a healthcare provider, before I even entered into a reproductive clinic in an OBGYN clinic, I was met with resistance and, oh, just, just keep trying. Like, it's no big deal. Like you haven't had that much happen. Like you just had one miscarriage, like foo-foo, like kind of foo-foo that whole thing off and even use like, so I live in rural North Dakota and I was even met with resistance. Like, well, you do know if you want to do more testing and medication and work up, you're going to have to drive, right? Like, yep, well aware. I know exactly where I live. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, like if I'm hearing this and things, what are other people hearing? Or, and I, I have more, I felt like I spoke up for myself from the beginning and many don't and can't and aren't sure how to. So I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, if I'm thinking this or feeling this or hesitant or reluctant to speak up, what are others thinking and feeling? Like, this is just not right. And so it was like right off the bat before I even received, you know, it was right when we had our miscarriage because it was, that was before we even started infertility treatments. I was feeling these things already. That's, that's bananas. It, it's like living, like living in rural North Dakota, I know exactly what you're talking about is, is, is like being that underserved population. But to your point, um, like, what is the threshold of like, oh, you haven't had enough bad things happen to you. You haven't had enough trauma. I, I would just, I wonder what the, like, what the, the definition uh, threshold for, yeah. okay, you've, you've suffered enough and now we're going to treat you nicer. I, right. I, for our audience, uh, just to back up a minute, what types of um, circumstances or conditions is covered under un, under infertility? <laughs> so the moment that you get infertility diagnosis, all insurance coverage ceases. And there's many diseases that lead to infertility. And so a lot of what I do when I work with patients, especially telemedicine and take insurance, I don't work under the infertility bubble, I work under the disease or symptom state that's causing the infertility, such as PCOS, endometriosis, hypothyroidism. Um, And I work with those things. I work with the mental health piece of it. 
um, mis reoccurrent miscarriage, reoccurrent loss, huge. That and PCOS and endometriosis are like the top three things. You know, there's there's a disease that's underlying causing the infertility to occur. And there's just a lot of uh, lack of understanding and education and support for patients with those diseases themselves. And so it's one of those things where this, here's some staggering statistics. It takes seven to 12 years to get the diagnosis of endometriosis. It takes two to three healthcare providers and the patient bringing forward the suggestion of PCOS to get the diagnosis of PCOS. And it takes I've had the, the new standards now are two miscarriages equals reoccurrent pregnancy loss or reoccurring. And, and that puts you into a category where you need a further workup and the really deep dive lab and analysis and some other testing done. And so it takes the patient, you know, I've had, th you know, they're like, I've had three or four and they've done nothing. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, this is just not good practice. This is a lack of quality healthcare on the end of the healthcare provider. And so uh, that's a lot of what I'm just kind of like back up for them and restart the evaluation and the process kind of over and also provide them with education and understanding of the disease. Once they either receive the diagnosis or if they come to me with it already, they don't necessarily want the treatment that's being forced on them. They don't want birth control. Um, there's a lot out there where you have access as patients now to a lot of knowledge and education and resources that may be suggesting or offering other ways to control symptoms and disease states. And so these patients don't always want a prescription medication for their disease. So I'm open and have an understanding and education on other tools and resources and things they can do to help manage their symptom and their disease, which will in turn, hopefully help result in a pregnancy. And if it doesn't, we then move on to reproductive health care. you know, and some come to me when they've already started it and they just want more support, um, someone to go to that understands it. And so it's meeting them where they are at, no matter what their diagnosis is at or treatment. And maybe they're not even doing fertility. I see a lot of college females that have PCOS endometriosis. And I see a lot of women on the backside, they're done having babies, but they're still having all these hormonal issues. Duh. Right. Cause like they have never been treated for their PCOS or their endo and it's, and, or both. I see a lot of them coexisting and thyroid diseases, all these things just being overlooked and they're still symptomatic. Um, I have a patient that I'm seeing Recently, she's got four kids and she's having all of these hormonal imbalances going on and no one's listening to her. A lot of just listening is needed and it's, it's being missed or they don't have the time in these busier healthcare systems to, to sit and listen and address symptoms. Uh, would you say that, so I guess the, the two things that I, that I took away from that is, um, infertility is it's like this label of this like this bucket of a whole mess of lead up there's a lot of different roads that it ends with this like label of infertility which from what i understand like is like this this meaningless label i guess for lack of a better term it's it's like a nice legal term it's a nice insurance 
term, but it, it doesn't provide any sort of resolution or plan of action for the woman who's who who's saddled with that label, right? So, would you say like is it fair to say that um, infertility is, is like a chronic hormonal imbalance, like or it, it it is a result of chronic hormonal imbalance? Yeah, and it definitely can be, and there's some too. I was just thinking as you were talking more, you brought up some good points. Like there are some women, for example, that have to have um, procedures or like their fallopian tubes removed because of infection or disease. And so they need that to jump straight to IVF. You know, there's certain diseases or things that lead to that or like fertility preservation, for example, where before starting cancer treatment, you have to preserve your sperm and eggs none of that covered. And just because you have that, you know, you're still all out of pocket for the treatment uh, that's needed to grow a family and start a family. So there's a barrier to like, even starting a family, if you have to jump to one of these more costlier treatments right away, knowing or people are, there's people that have genetic predispositions. And so in order to prevent having a child, because uh, for genetic purposes, maybe they're both carriers or you know, they've known from family genetics, they have to, ha in order to have a healthy living child, we need to do like IVF, for example, with genetic testing. Insurance won't cover it. You know, so there's so many different barriers, like uh, points of entry, we'll call it. There's so many points of entry into the infertility bucket that some may know that they have to jump straight to a higher level of treatment. Whereas others simply need to like, take a pause, kind of work on balancing hormones. Let's, let's try this. Um, I've seen a lot of women totally not even understand how to track ovulation or no signs of ovulation. Likely they were missing their entire ovulatory phase and they're jump, they're already in like IUIs, which is another form of treatment. Whereas if we simply can like, we can still do those IUIs, but we could maybe take a pause work on balancing your hormones with your PCOS because they're not balanced just because you're doing oral medications for ovulation induction. That's not helping balance your disease. That's producing an egg, hopefully. And so it's like working side by side, like, okay, fine. If you would like to still keep doing that, let's also implement some, some cares to help with your PCOS. And hopefully we'll get to the outcome of a pregnancy faster that way. And so, yes, you, a lot of it is we need to get our hormones and our, you know, mental, emotional health. Cause we're so drained. Like by the time you even enter a reproductive clinic, the emotional and mental health piece is like damaged already and needs help. And so it's working on multi multi-system approach and a multidisciplinary approach, this whole term of infertility and reframing perhaps I hope how other healthcare professionals view it and encourage creating a multidisciplinary health care approach to it and bringing in other members side by side with them to help these patients. Cause that's, what's best for their patients. That makes it that, that actually, that helps clear it up for me. Cause I, I did kind of forget the, there, there are like, like you said, surgeries, genetics that all play oh. into part. So, so there's probably people who, like you said, already you know there there's this this like uh progressive path right that yes. that sometimes you it's almost like, like i look at it it's like a candy land board or like shoots and ladders where it's like or this decision tree um 
and oftentimes do you find that because there's just such a lack of there's just such a lack of anybody talking about fertility just at all and women's health and we thought like that's a big bucket we could get into for a later yes. day but um women just don't know what's available so then all of a sudden they go from I have a miscarriage I need like I need to go way to the far end of the board where we're like you said some when they come and talk to you a lot of times if it's not surgical it's not genetic you can really kind of peel back and like you said start over do an assessment let's see where your hormones are at because maybe a few minor interventions balancing hormones figuring out when you're ovulating um those can actually remedy and and you don't have to go the ivf route you don't have to um you know go to any like necessarily reproductive clinics because if you can manage on the hormonal level you diet exercise mental health um, all of the things, the, the interventions that aren't necessarily full, they're more, more holistic and less invasive, um, that, that can remedy, they can remedy, or it can say, yes, we've tried everything. Now we gotta, we gotta take it to the next step. Is that fair? hundred percent. Yes. So the prime example, as you're talking, that came to my head was, um, there's a patient of mine. She has three children already and trying for their fourth and she's like questioned her symptoms that she's had for practice since she stopped running in college so she was a college athlete and gained all this weight like out of nowhere and and she's just like I have no clue what happened well had to do some oral medications for her first two three children I don't remember the third one but now it's not working as smoothly as it as it has kind of and it wasn't even smooth but like all of a sudden no, it's not working. And she's like, they just want to push me right off to reproductive endocrinology. And we don't want that. Like something, she's like, something doesn't feel right. Like there's gotta be something else instead of just going straight to reproductive endocrinology, but OBGYN offices are busy and they just don't always have the space and time to serve this population of those trying to conceive even though it's in their wheelhouse, right? And they're trained, they're, they're, they're busy doing surgeries and babies and other things. Um, and so that she came to me and I looked, I was like, you haven't even had a full PCOS workup. Like, let's back this train up. Let's do a, what I call a basic lab panel based on symptoms. I can tell you right now, you have PCOS, but let's do a little bit of a workup. If nothing else, we're going to treat you like you do we got to get your insulin levels in check we need to there's some basic supplements that are statistically proven based on research to help with this let's bring those things on board and then i always say if this isn't going fast enough we can then do some oral medication or eventually move you on to reproductive endocrinology but right now what i'm hearing is you aren't ready for that yet and you shouldn't be given that as your only option or I have one young gal, they're not quite ready for a baby. She knows something is off based on her symptoms. Things are very off hormonally. And the only thing that three healthcare providers have offered her is birth control. And she's just like, I feel like there's more out there. And my sister-in-law told me about you. And so like, I'm like, whoa, yes, we got lots of work we can do here. And like, uh, and she's just like, really? Like, that's not the, like, 
So a lot of it is patients only being presented with certain options from their current healthcare provider and them not understanding, like you said, or knowing that there is something else there out there available unless they've been told by a friend or a family member or a coworker, or they found it themselves on discussion boards and groups and social media. That is how they're finding out that, hey, you might want to check with this person or look into this, you know, and that kind of thing. And so it's kind of a barrier to entry into knowing what else is available because they're not being presented from their healthcare provider with some other options too. Would you say a big part of your practice is education? Mm-hmm. Uh, my patients know that they're going to get a PowerPoint, literally a PowerPoint presentation on their disease, and they get 45 to 60 minutes with their first visit with me. And I am blessed as an OBGYN told me to be able to have that kind of time because I do run my own business. So I also understand from the standpoint that a lot of these providers work for big healthcare systems where they're being slammed with patients, but that's where they need to be open to looking into other providers that are available that can take the time and offload some of that then, you know, for them and provide a a much needed service um, as basic as patient education for their patients. And so, yes, a lot of it is um, making them feel heard, like someone listened to them and educating them, letting them know what their options all are, and then letting them as an individual or couple make a decision on what the next step is. That makes a ton of sense. Um, so walk me through, like, um, first off, do, do people need to be referred to you? Nope. They can okay. come to me on their own. Um, no need for referrals. Nope. Okay. What, um, so what would, what would uh, an initial, con- like, would you, what's an initial consultation or like a first few visits look like with you? Yeah. So initially, um, our first visit, whether you're coming in from the coaching side or even the telemedicine side, that first visit is the same for the most part. We look at everything that you've been through already. You know, we discuss like kind of what you're experiencing symptom wise, perhaps, or what frustrations, what's weighing you down, what are your burdens, what's keeping you up at night. We kind of look at that right off the bat. And then we look at, you know, have you, what other services have you been receiving? You know, like, are you doing natural path acupuncture? Are you seeing, um, you know, a hematologist? Like, is there another specialist or some other people that you've already received care from? Okay, let's, let's, you know, make note of that. And then we kind of move into um, our education session. Um, I, for telehealth, what I'll do a lot is say, okay, here is some testing that I'd recommend we do further, um, to look at things a little bit deeper and see what else could be going on. These are the tests I'd like to run on you. And the neat thing about me is I can order referrals and lab work and and imaging and things like that anywhere where the patient lives. And so they can go to their local hometown or, you know, their clinic where they've been going. I just send the orders there. Um, I can keep them in their community and refer, for example, physical therapy. I do a lot of pelvic floor physical therapy referrals. They don't have to, you know, that we can find one in their area or that's close driving distance that I already am aware of and have screened and know treats women that women's health. And so um, it's, it's kind of a nice thing that I have. And same with like, 
my coaching too, a lot of what I'll do is if they are looking for a, a provider, we sit and look at statistics of clinics. You know, we look at the reproductive clinic statistics and outcomes. There's a website that you can do that on sart.org and you can, we can evaluate clinics together, um, compare them. If they're looking for acupuncture, I literally whip open um, Google and MapQuest and we sit and find some providers in their area together that they can go see. And then of course, I, I do a lot of education um, on my coaching side too, but a lot of it is just support and having someone that they can come to if they're having a bad day. I use an app where they can you know, talk, type, or you know, send um, images and things like that back and forth 24 seven, you know, I'm not going to wake up at 2am it's silenced, you know, but it's a safe place for them to drop into if they're having a hard day or a bad time or just need a fertility friend and a buddy to come to um, when they're going through these things and someone who gets it, I'm not going to judge, you know, and just be a safe place for them to come to. So, um, so I guess what's the the right person to, to go through fertility coaching versus the right person to move into your telehealth or, or if they, yeah. if they, if they reach out to you, you talk to them, you'll put it, you, they'll end up in the right bucket. Is yep, that yep. I can triage it if you want to call it that. Okay. Um, a lot of my, you know, I, w- I was about to say a lot of my North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota people do telehealth right away, but they, I have some that do both because the coaching provides more, you're going to get more one-on-one time with me. Um, if you need more nurturing, uh, more of someone to talk to at any time versus sending a few messages here and there back and forth. So if you really need someone to like hold your hand and walk beside you intimately, that's more of the coaching sector where the telemedicine is like, if you want a second opinion, almost someone to step in and can actually order. Like if we're going to need to order some testing, now we're falling into the telemedicine piece of it. And we can kind of hone in more and do more on that side of it then. That that's gotta be like an incredibly unique, um, like you must have like an incredibly unique practice because not only do you provide coaching, but you also provide like the legitimate, like the, the legitimacy inside the, the healthcare system so yes. that you can, you, you, you can not only provide um, support, but you can back it up with action. Exactly. And another thing people like comfort and convenience nowadays. So it is not uncommon for, cause I do a lot of evenings or weekend hours too, noontime. It's not uncommon for women to be cuddled up on their couch or bed with a blanket and we're having our appointment. And it totally takes that like, you know, angsty feeling out of sitting in a, a waiting room or the coldness that sometimes comes with the doctor's office and that feeling, it totally eliminates that. And it's just like, they open up more. You can just feel this like, that and they're like, oh man, this is really nice. Like that was a that was an appointment. Like it's just kind of a different atmosphere too that I can offer in addition to hopefully not having them miss a lot of work. Cause even if they are at work and want an appointment, they can just log on from wherever they're comfortable and can do it in their office or find a safe place in their office to meet with me and then just log back into work right away. And it lessens the amount of time that they're away from work as well or, you know, avoiding family and friend time, things like that. Uh, that, that's, that sounds really helpful, especially for this population, because 
um, like you said, most of like infertility and fertility things in general is, uh, is not covered by anything. So a lot of it's out of pocket. Um, what, what has, um, everlasting hope? What it like, what does that advocacy yielded, um, as far as, um, like being able to have coverage for, uh, infertility, um, Plan, like medical plans, like uh, yeah, infertility benefits. Like yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that actually was one of the first things I did before I even started my business was establish the nonprofit Everlasting Hope, and a big piece of that came from um, in 2019. I had decided this was ridiculous what we just went through, and contacted my district legislator and was like, "What can I do about this? There's no insurance coverage." And, it was working through the right chain of command. And then I also partnered with a national organization that works in doing these advocacy efforts across the country. And they've been successful with it in other states. And they also work with it at a federal level. So every year I continue to advocate on a federal level. If we could just pass at that federal level, it would eliminate the need at the state level for any of this. But in the meantime, Many states are passing and doing work grassroots efforts at the state level to get mandatory insurance coverage for infertility and fertility preservation. So 90% of fertility preservation is cancer patients. Um, and what it's done in, from 2019 to 2021, we almost more than doubled our support. And the really neat thing that came out of it was I saw how important it is for patients and couples, whether you are currently going through infertility, but if you have went through infertility ever, so I don't care if it was five, 10, 15, 20 plus years ago, we need you to share your story. And sometimes that's literally just emailing your legislator saying, hi, I'm a constituent in your district. And I went through infertility. It was awful. It was expensive. And here's the things. It can be a paragraph. As I was saying, it doesn't have to be like pages. It can be a paragraph. But when they see I'm a constituent of your district, put your district number in there. They are going to respond to that. It was proven in 2021 when we flipped almost eight plus legislators the hour before our bill went to the floor. They were red and they flipped green. And some of them were very staunch conservatives, one would call them green voting on this. And it was all because they had heard from their constituents, from family, from friends of their own. So the more that we speak up, and that's hard for people to do that are currently going through it. 61% of women don't even share with their friends and family they're going through this. It's the fourth leading cause of trauma in women. You know, it's been studied to be as stressful and as going through cancer treatment. So there, that, that group of patients might not be ready to speak up, but if you are their friend, their family member, their coworker, you can speak up on behalf of them. If you went through infertility years ago, we need you to speak up on behalf of this community. You still have a place, you still have a role. You know, you're still part of this community to try to create change for others that are coming behind us that, that are still gonna experience this. And, and it's just, it was so amazing also to see patients come forward and be brave and share their story and, and advocate and testify 
um, for change and how healing that can be. Everybody who pretty much has done it has said they're, they feel different afterwards. There's something that changes inside of them when they get up there and they speak in front of these legislators. And so just seeing that happen is just amazing. So amazing. And is that um, like, cause like you said, most people, like most women don't, don't even talk about that with their close friends. Um, I've had infertility um, like touch my life personally also. And it's not something that like you lead with, you know, that's not something where you, that your friends lead with, you know, you get together every once in a while and, and you don't, you don't lead with that. Um, how can we change? Like, how can I change that? Just like speaking to me as, as a human being, how, um, how can I, as a friend, uh, as a, as a loved one, as, like I've got nieces, like who knows what their journey is going to look like. Um, I've got aunts, like who knows what their journey looks like. Um, how can, how can I be a more, uh, welcoming place to, to talk about stuff like this? Because the, the less we, you know, the less we talk about it, the more shame, the more shame, the less we want to talk about it. It's like this really awful cycle of something that is just, it's, it's part of the human experience and it, it's not, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And how, how do, how, how can I, how can I change that just oh, in my life? So amazing, Sarah. Like, I'm so glad you brought this up because it's, I, I've been asked like, where did the stigma come from? Like, I don't know. It's like part of our reproductive system. So we just don't talk about it. I think for starters, if you're trying to support somebody who's going through it in that category, it's just saying, how are you? What can I do to help you? You know, and, and not offering a solution, but support and an ear to listen to and a shoulder to cry on and just checking in on them. Um, you know, maybe it is literally like if they're going through a treatment, provide a meal like you would if they went through a miscarriage, it is treating that like a loss as if there was somebody who physically died. It's acknowledging that that was life and that's a loss and putting more, um, putting more support into the grieving process that someone is going through when they are struggling to conceive or have had miscarriages or failed embryo transfer. That is grief. That was a loss of a child or a hope or a dream and a vision and so many things just get lost and so whatever you would do to support someone who's grieving a, a death of someone here on earth is the best way I can say to support somebody who's going through loss and grief when they're going through infertility now if you want to go to the other bubble we'll call it of what can you do to like advocate Number one thing right now that we're trying to work on as an organization with Everlasting Hope is encouraging employers to add infertility benefits. They hold so much power come open season or whatever, you know, time of to change your insurance plan comes around, open enrollment season, we call it, whatever. And um, to make that change on their own. When you think of one in eight being impacted by this disease, they need to sit and really think about how many people that is in their office and how much power they have. In addition, we educate them that studies have been done that show adding this benefit does not increase premiums. In fact, it's cost savings and that's been studied. And so we're here to help them as an organization and align them with ways they can, they can make that change on their own. There's been studies that have shown employee retention better employee satisfaction, 
all good things have been shown to benefit the employer if they add this. So we really want to start working with employers more. If an employee, whether you've been impacted by infertility or not, so if you just want to help make that change on your own, you can do that without being personally impacted and just say, hey, you know, let's talk to HR, reach out to me through Everlasting Hope, and I'm happy to help guide those conversations and ways to make that happen. We also are always looking for, once again, during legislation season, which is coming up um, in 2023, where you start our work the fall before. So I'll start preparing um, this fall already for the next session. But it's saying, hey, I'm willing to help. How can I help? And I simply will add you to like an Excel spreadsheet. You're going to get our call to actions that go out and sending an email and making a connection with your personal legislator, which we help you find if you don't know who that is, is so powerful. And saying, please, let's, let's make this change. Like enough is enough. And we usually have templated and scripted stuff that we provide you. So if you don't even know what to say, we give you what to say as well. We try to make it as easy as possible. And it's just, once again, changing our, um, how we view this and how we talk about it. And you know, if it's during meetups with friends and family and, and it comes up, not allowing it to come up and actually have an open conversation around the table, you know, about it and just being more open of acknowledging this to be a disease for what it is. It's a disease and how we speak to somebody that has it. We're not going to throw solutions or comments or, hey, my friend tried this, you know, did you, you know, have you looked into you know, it worked for them. It should work for you type of willy nilly or like, if you just relax, like that's the one that gets thrown out. Or did you think of adopting? Please stop saying that. Adoption is a gift that anybody can do, not just the infertiles of the world. And so it's like stopping those kinds of things and that thought process too, because it might seem to you as being helpful, but it's really hurtful when we're met with the adoption comment, the relaxation comment. Um, it's, hey, you're having a hard time. Like, what can I do? Like ask them what they need or how you can help them or just simply say, I'm thinking of you. Just know you're in my thoughts and prayers or, you know, whatever it may be as simple as that judgment-free zone for them to just hear sometimes is really helpful. That's, uh, that's very, that just that last bit is, was very helpful to like what not to do because I, same, you know, I, I've been in those discussions too, where it's like, God, I just know, like no one can fix, like, you know, when you're sitting with your friends, none of your friends are going to fix what's going on right now. So throwing out solutions isn't helpful, you know, it's it's not helpful. (laughs) Um, but you know, but just being a really good friend and listening and, and, and just like being, just holding space, just like, okay, like let's, just talk, talk about all the things. And, and, and like you said, how, how can, you know, how can we just like hold you up? Because yes, even in, um, even in like everybody, every season of life, like mental health is definitely a consideration. And, um, and that's just like good mental health hygiene is to just be a good friend and, and to, yes. and, and to like, care about and like legitimately like take time and 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 check in with people what what have you found um what have you found to be the I guess unexpectedly beneficial 
um, I guess, are there any unique mental health resources that you refer your clients to? Or is it like, hey, look, taking care of a human being is taking care of a human being who's dealing with infertility. Um, what have you found that's like unique or, or, or is there anything that's unique? So part of that initial assessment that I do with everyone is analyzing where they're at with their mental health as an individual and as a couple. So I really, I, I have a list of mental health providers that understand and know and specifically are trained to help with those with infertility. Cause that's not, in my opinion, not just anybody can do that. They don't understand it or they're at, they don't, they don't get it. It's, it's a very specialized area in my opinion. And so I have a amazing group of resources. Um, maybe they want to do some more like emotional wellness, you know, like Reiki or like some other healing techniques when to bring that in or ac in acupuncture, things like that. I have a list of providers like that. Most recently, I've really been into and I've been using it for me personally outside of the infertility space, but there is hypnotherapy and there's many providers that specialize in hypnotherapy for fertility, um, you know, meditation, mindset work, bringing some of those resources in and then maybe it's even marriage counseling. Like we might have to find, you know, ways to restore broken communication that happens so easily during this trying time as a couple, things get lost, forgotten. We're not who we were before fertility, if you're really in the thick of it. And so it's kind of doing a pulse check. I always call them pulse checks. Where are we at with our mental health? There's some other great programs um, specifically designed for uh mental and emotional wellness for fertility. There's one that I work with called organic conceptions and, and they work on collaborative communication as a couple to, to restore that during specifically for infertility. And so that is one of the things right off the bat that I touch on is the mental health component. And even when I work advocating, I'm always throwing those statistics out there. There is statistics like I said, you know, 61% don't even share it. That's the fourth leading cause of trauma. Um, you know, I have some statistics I share on men and women being impacted by anxiety and depression and how once they enter IVF, that level of, of depression and anxiety is so high already that we need to really work on changing how we view this disease too and the impact it has on our overall, you know, day-to-day -day and our whole life as a whole. It really impacts every piece of it. How, how are we supposed to go to work after a miscarriage? You know, it's really changing that tone too. I've tried to work with employers and I was able to change it at my workplace, but bereavement to be able to have some of that leave time and have it paid out when we go through a miscarriage. I don't want to be actively bleeding at my job, miscarrying a baby. And that is unacceptable to not acknowledge that and be able to give some time to heal to our employee and our employees that are going through these things, you know, after a failed embryo transfer, that's a loss. We should get to tap into some of these benefits um, after having some of these traumatic losses happen to us. I think it's, um, I think it's important to like, to have talks like this, to be a catalyst for action. Yes. Um, and like, I don't know, I've like, everything has kind of got a national awareness week. And I think it's good because it, because it, it, it generates conversations like this. So um, just for like this last piece of our 
our episode, I want to talk specifically about what we can do. So yeah. um, I want to, so I'll, I'll break it up into, into different, um, into different audiences. And what is your specific message? So for someone who it like is, is in that infertility journey, like that one, that one person, what would you, what, what do you want them to know? Well, during that week specifically, I think they should just take time to like, take a deep breath and kind of just do nothing and let others surround them with support and love that week. Because unless they are in a comfortable and safe place of sharing, I would then encourage them to share their story. Put that post out there. Maybe it's for the first time you share for the very first time um, to family, to friends on social media, one or all to share your story. Hey, I'm one in eight. I'm one in four. That miscarriage is one in four. Here's my story. And if you're not in a comfortable place as an individual or a couple to do that, just sit back and know that this week is in honor of you and acknowledging what you are going through is real and valid. And there is a whole community of us out here supporting you, cheering for you, providing a safe space for you. Maybe it's like looking for the first time, hey, maybe I'm going to join Everlasting Hope or Resolve Support Group. I'm going to find a support group. This is the week I'm going to go and look and take that step to find a safe place and a support system for me because I'm on an island right now. And it's taking that first step into finding support. So that would be my, there's two different groups of those people even that I think exist is those that are comfortable sharing and those that are not. And those that are not just getting grace. It's okay. You don't have to share no worries, but let's get you some support. So you're not on this Island alone. And then if you are open and sharing, let's go public with it maybe. And if you're ready to share, but not quite public, let's find a person to text, tell your family, tell your friends, tell those closest to you, tell your employer, do jeans day money that week or jeans week money for um, a nonprofit that supports those with infertility. Um, do a Facebook campaign, you know, one of those like Facebook fundraisers for a nonprofit to support those going through it in that week. And that is a really basic way I think that can help just raise, if you see a post, hey, it's a national infertility awareness post, share it, you know, for all of those going through it, even if you're not personally impacted, share these posts on, on social and start conversations more around it. Um, bring people in to talk, you know, to your place of work on how you can add benefits too. Is that a, so that, that would, that'd be my next question is if, if you're an ally, right. Yeah. If you, and if you don't, if you, if you're known, but if you, if you know, you know, someone who has been in that infertility journey or you don't, or you don't know that, you know, someone mm -hmm. that's been on that infertility journey and you want to be an ally for, for those that are, that are affected, what can we do? So number one thing is let's get some, let's talk to employers. Let's make some connections with HR. Let's get the conversation rolling internally on how we can add benefits because here's why cost is the number one barrier to care. And so there is people, it's a healthcare disparity too, which is kind of a big word. It, when, when you have this disparity between cost and care going on where people can't even go and receive the proper standard of care for um, under, like if you, for example, the most basic thing of care is for some, they need an oral medication 
with some testing. That is $1,500 plus out of pocket. People can't even get basic care if they don't ovulate. So people need to understand that when we say access to care, it is not just IVF. That is like 3% of the population, literally statistically speaking, that are going to need IVF. It is not this big costly thing. Many just need oral medications, maybe some shots and some monitoring to get pregnant don't even have access to that. So it is so powerful knowing that you can talk to HR, get the right communication and ball rolling and to get that change made in, um, internally within your employer in place of work to make those changes, whether you've been impacted or not. Next would obviously be come forward during our legislation session. Even if you haven't been personally impacted, we need to hear you know, and, and, and sh even just sharing things on social, I think is so huge too. And, and um, changing how we speak about it, you know, and think about it. Or if you are someone who employs people, giving them some extra time off to acknowledge a loss or a failure of treatment, if they're open about it, um, just being open about it in general, like, hey, does anybody here, if you're impacted by it, we really want to, you know, make you feel open and, and close about talking about it, you know, because we would talk about any other disease. Sally's going through chemo or, oh, like they had this surgery that their gallbladder out, you know, you, you have conversations about those things. And so it's like, let's have a conversation on our break time about infertility too, and make it more acceptable and comforting and welcoming to speak about in general um, at our places of work with our friends at supper, with our families during the holidays. And you might even realize that someone in your family will open up about it when they went through it 30 plus years ago. And that's going to be healing for them because they have suppressed it and not been able to talk about it for so long too. I think those are like incredible calls to action. Um, and, and I'm so like, it's super good timing because in North Dakota, especially because we like our legislative, like you're going to be getting your, your advocacy ducks in a row for the legislative uh, assembly, you know, the beginning of this, like this coming year. So like, yes. this is, this is timely for, for us to be talking and timely to, to get that, that ball rolling for people to, to talk to their legislators and, um, and employers. And I'm super grateful for, um, for you reaching out um, because I, like I said, I've, I have been um, affected in an indirect manner from, um, from infertility. And it's, I would say even just as myself, I, I didn't like, I wasn't the person that, that said relax and adoption yeah. luckily, but, um, I could have been, uh, I could have been a more, I think I could have, could have done better. And now that I know better, I can do better. And I, and I think that's fair. And, and, and I, I appreciate you giving me, like giving me the opportunity to, to get better so I can be better in the future. Um, what have I not asked you about that you feel the audience would, would have a great value of? This is so good. I think if you're a patient listening and you feel like you're on the island or you don't feel heard, or perhaps you feel intuitively like something more is going on. And this is for, I would say, your reproductive health and beyond, just in general, um, as a medical provider who's been the rut of, of this disease where I didn't feel heard, there are healthcare providers out there to 
fit your needs, to hear you, to listen to you. Do not overlook anything. Like if something doesn't feel right with your body, you know best. You know your body best. Keep looking until you find that person. I often say healthcare providers work for you. You can hire them and fire them. Like you create your team and it's okay to get second opinions, third opinions, fourth opinions until you find somebody who is right for you. Do not feel like you have to be stuck with a person or a facility or a, you know, a system just because you've been going there for other things all these years. Like think outside of, of that, if that is you. Now, if you are content and you know, you're feeling like you're receiving quality care and you're being heard and everything's good, wonderful. But more often than not, I'd see the other side of it. And so working with creating your own healthcare team is something really important as well. Like you get to create and have on your team, whoever you want, even if one of those or two of those providers thinks it's not going to help, there's nothing to support it or back it, blah, blah, blah. Don't listen to that. You get to, it's your body. You get to do what you want, you know, and, and it's creating whatever you feel is going to help move your needle forward in your journey to conceive or your health in general and keep looking until you find that right person. Don't ever overlook that intuitive feeling. Oh, that's super helpful. Um, how can people get a hold of you? How can people find you? Yes. Just to, as, as we wrap up, um, how can people get a hold of you if, if someone was on that journey and, and they want to add you to the team or they want to see if they want to see if uh, they want to see if you'd be a good fit to work with, um, yeah. or if they just want to get education, where can people Absolutely. find you? So Tara B fertility is my Instagram is like where I'm at the most. I'm on Facebook too. Um, tried TikTok. That's kind of a whatever, but <laughs> um, my inbox on Instagram is, is always me. That's where I see most people coming to on my website. I also, it's terabfertility.com. I have a chat box feature on there that you can talk to me directly to at any time. And you will connect and we can help navigate through some of that as well. I have blog posts on there. I have a podcast that really short educational segments. Some are inspirational, a lot of education um, with really quick, short ones, um, hopeful hints and infertility podcasts. Um, but really just reach out. Like even if, even if I'm not what you need, I can point you in the direction of who might be a, a good fit for that need that you're having Everlasting Hope also has a resource page and we've tried to break it down into any category. If we're missing a category, let us know. If we're missing you as a provider and you feel you fit that space, please, please, please let us know. Um, local North Dakota, South Dakota providers on that page that people can just go to that understand infertility. Um, whole list of different resources on there too. So go and check that out. Um, we do also, Everlasting Hope offers grants um, and we try to help offset medical expenses. We were able to get five out this year and we have baby, we have babies born, we have babies on the way. We do care packages. We do support groups hosted by a licensed counselor. So we just do a lot through Everlasting Hope too. And that website's raisingeverlastinghope.org. And so there's a couple different ways that you can find um, support and help at locally now too. I love that. I, I can't, th again, I can't thank you enough. For, for reaching out and for educating me and all of us and uh, and giving us some calls to action that 
uh, I, I will for sure be taking action on. Um, and I, I do hope that more of our listeners do. And I, and I, I absolutely hope that, uh, if any of my listeners are out there and they're feeling like an Island, cause it, it like feeling like you're on an Island is, is probably one of the most, uh, lonely, desolate places that a person can feel. Um, yes. there's, there is, there, there's someone out there, especially in, on this infertility journey, I've, I've got, I've got my, my professional. So, um, yes. welcome to, welcome to the village. I'm going to be, thank you. Gonna, thank you be, for yeah. willing to take action too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, so we all have our marching orders. We know what to do. Um, I will thank you again. If you have any parting shots, any, what, any parting shots before parting we, shots. before we end this episode? No, this was so good. I just love how like motivated you are to like, let's do action. Let's take some action. That's so great. Oh, if it's, yeah, if it's a, if it, if it's like got an event or like a fundraiser or like a, Hey, email your, your, uh, uh, state legislator. I, I, uh, it, it's an easy thing to do. It's an easy yeah. thing to do. And it, and it, and it makes a huge difference. And I'm, I'm learning that as I, as I get older, that the little things really are the big things. Absolutely. You nailed it. <laughs> Cool. Well, I appreciate you so much, uh, Tara, for joining. And uh, again, if anybody has any questions, I'm going to put all of your contact information in the show notes. And uh, we'll we, we will probably have you on in the future. Perfect. But, uh, yeah. Anytime. Thank anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tara. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll catch you next time. So.